0: again and hello watching at home. <laughs> uh, there, are few, there are a few watching at home by the way if you, um, and maybe some of you if, you if you miss church you can always catch up on our YouTube channel. Um, well friends uh, I'd love you to have open Joel chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible I will give you one tonight. All right? First thing, if you don't own one tonight you can go home with one. Uh, second, if you've got one on your phone or something like that, then get your phone open and look up Joel chapter 1. It makes it a lot easier to follow what's going on. And your responsibility is to make sure that I'm preaching what the Bible says. It's your, that's, that's your job. Um, you've got to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Okay, well, uh, you find an outline too in your, your bulletin. So get that out. I've given you a little map there because, hey, everyone likes maps. And um, there's a structure of outline of Joel, the book, too. So you can follow that along. Hopefully that'll help. We will have our um, Q&A at the end as well if you've got any questions or any comments. How about I pray for us and ask uh, God to help us as we look at his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for church tonight. We thank you that you've gathered us here together. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you'd help, um, uh, help us understand your word. Uh, Help us to understand our need for a saviour. And we um, pray that you'd help me to be clear. Help us to concentrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look, we don't know a great deal about the book, about Joel, uh, the prophet Joel. We know that he had his father called Pethuel. He's a son of Pethuel, 1 verse 1 tells us. But what we do know, we find out from the book itself. And so the Bible scholars tend to place Joel amongst a group of uh, books or prophets called the minor prophets. Now, it's not uh, that doesn't mean that they're any less important than the major prophets. It just simply means that they're smaller. The minor prophets are smaller than the major prophets. So other minor prophets are, for example, Hosea and... Amos and and, uh, Nahum, um, whereas major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're much bigger. And that's really all it is. is. So one of the minor prophets. uh, Joel is mostly poetry. They keep that in mind as we read through the book of Joel. And so because it's poetry, it doesn't really give many hints away as to the time of writing or the historical context Although most scholars tend to place Joel around the time of the Babylonian, uh, the, the Babylonian assault on Judah. So we're looking about 586 BC or even the time after. The, and that was the Babylonian exile when the Israelite people were forced out of Judah, out of Jerusalem. And so we think that Joel's actually writing in Jerusalem at the time. There's a, a few hints we come across for that. In any case, the uncertainty of the date shouldn't bother, bother us and I don't think it bothered Joel either because no matter what the time in history, the people of God will always be faced with crises and tough times and it's in that context that Joel writes. How we respond to those uh, tough times is the theme of the book of Joel. So, how do you react how do you react when things go belly up, as they say? Uh, when things go south? What do, you, do, you, do you despair? Uh, do you pretend it didn't happen and sort of go on living, you know, or happy or whatever it might be? Do you blame someone else? Do you blame God? Now, John did steal my thunder just a little bit, but that's okay. I'm, I'm going to continue on with your theme. Um, so yeah, for many people 2020 has been that sort of year As John described, it's been a challenging year for many people So I thought I'd go, I thought I'd have a look through I'd, I thought I'd show you three little memes describing 2020 Okay, Just to get us in the mood Here's the first one um, So, hmm, nice cup of tea of 2020 <laughs> uh, I can yeah, I feel that, you know um, You get it in the bottom he's, he's poking himself in the eye if you miss that um, next one, yeah, quite like. Uh, this is 2020. If 2020 was a bag of chips, orange juice and toothpaste flavour. <laughs> 2020. Now, this one um, I was a bit worried about when I showed this at the 10am service because you know, some of us have gone through this, this procedure. Um, if 2020 was a drink, what would it be? A colonoscopy prep. <laughs> That's 2020. Um, if you're fortunate enough to have done one of those things, yeah, you'd know what I mean. Anyway, so that's 2020. Um, Okay, well, a little bit more seriously now. Uh, (laughs) How how do you react when things go wrong? So whether it's a a job loss, uh, relationship breakdown, illness, anxiety, fear, or even a disaster of some kind, and 2020 certainly, as we've been talking about, ticks some of those boxes, doesn't it? How do you respond to disaster, to crisis? And is there a purpose to this suffering? Because we need to be clear, don't we, that being a Christian isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to distress and suffering. Here's what one author wrote. Uh, shallow triumphalism. In other words, this, this, um, this idea of, hey, you know, we, we, can, we can do everything. We can conquer everything. Uh, everything will be perfect as a Christian. Well, that's just shallow triumphalism. Um, and that's one way we could respond. But the quote goes on to say that that does not help in the depth of difficulties. If God is only for the up, successful hurrah times of life, he is excluded from three-fourths of our lives. I'll never forget a, uh, an image, this image of this a small Indonesian boy, who was walking amongst the ruins and devastation of the uh, 2004 Boxing Day tsunami that hit in the Indian Ocean, Bandarache in Indonesia. Uh, he was holding up this small sign, a sign he'd made up himself uh, with this sort of white placard type thing, a bit of rubbish really, and, and he was holding this sign up to a news helicopter hovering above, uh, taking photos or, or capturing the moment. and. On the sign, it simply read one word and it said, why? That's it. Why? Many of us respond to disaster this way. It's more than just frustration. It's a despair. A crying out for purpose. For reason. And I think it's a crying out to be saved. But saved from what? That's our key question this evening. That's a key question in Joel in the context of a natural disaster. And so in a time of crisis, what ought we be crying out to be saved from? A pain? Disaster? Grief? Well, yes. But the book of Joel tells us there's an even bigger issue than than such things. Even though natural disaster is exactly the context in which Joel writes, no, no, the bigger issue is the judgment of God. And Joel writes, that is what we need saving from. How disasters and the judgment of God relate to each other, well, that's the focus of today's passage. Okay, long intro to a short book, three chapters. But, uh, so make sure you've got Joel 1 open. If you don't have a Bible, then bring one next week. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be helpful. And have the outline in front of you. That'll help too. You can see I've got three headings which will guide us. Here's the first one from chapter 1. Disasters. Uh, there's a little, a little picture. Of, they're not the same boy, by the way, but a picture of that devastation. Disasters are a wake-up call. So Joel begins his communication of the Lord's Word. He's a prophet with an impassioned call to attention. Have a look at verse 2. See verse 2, hear this, listen, tell it to your children and their children. Look what has happened to you. Now what's happened is a locust plague has destroyed the land. Now in a farming community such as this, uh, even in today's farming communities in in, uh, rural Australia, where life is dependent on the land, a locust plague is absolute devastation. Uh, Listen to this description, it's a great description, here's a little picture to put your mind in the right zone. Uh, This description is of a locust plague in Jerusalem, Palestine, Syria, that sort of area, uh, from 1915 and it was recorded in the National Geographic for those history buffs. Anyway, have a listen to this, get a feeling of what's going on and what sort of disaster uh, was happening. At the end of February, great clouds of locusts began flying into the land from a northeasterly direction so that attention was drawn to them by the sudden darkening of the bright sunshine. They came in enormous numbers, settling on the fields and hillsides. They lay their eggs in vast numbers. It was calculated that some 60,000 could come from eggs planted in about one metre square of soil. And that figure involved a 30% loss rate. Once hatched, the new brood started crawling across the ground at a rate of 185 metres per day, devouring every scrap of vegetation in their path. Absolute devastation. Incredible. Yet, Joel's main burden, as he writes, was not news of the locust infestation, as significant and devastating as that was. His burden as a prophet was to show the people what their reaction to the locust plague told them about their relationship to God. They had drifted from the Lord and were ill-prepared to face the crisis. Have a look at verse 5. So Joel says, wake up! Wake up! Look what the locusts have done. Let this disaster be a wake-up call for you. See, like drunkards, verse 5, they were in denial. They never believed disaster could strike them. Ah, it never happened to us disaster could never happen to us well it can and it may well do so Joel writes in verse 8 that they should mourn, mourn like an engaged bride a bride to be who loses her fiance her fiance dies, that's what verse 8's on about mourn like that and the priests special word for the priests, those given the task to teach the word of God, verse 13 mourn at your failure Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. You see, And now come with me to verse 14. This disaster ought to have been a wake-up call, a warning, warning them of a much greater disaster heading their way. And what's that? That's the judgment of God. The day of the Lord. The locusts were a preview to the main event, a foretaste of what was coming. So, verse 15: Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It'll come like destruction from the Almighty. So, Joel the prophet, his burden as he writes, is to lift the gaze of the people from their present distress to the more awesome destruction that foreshadows. And lead them to a proper response. You see, that's what disasters, crises are in our lives. C.S. Lewis called them God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Joel's purpose, therefore, is to rouse a spiritual drowsy people. Now, friends, is that you tonight? Is that you? Is uh, spiritually drowsy? Do you need rousing? Do you need a wake-up? Well, keep listening. See, disasters and setbacks in this life are warnings of a much greater and deeper disaster that will face us at the end unless we escape it. The Day of the Lord's a common theme in Joel. It pops up a lot. We're going to hear about it a lot as you read through. It not only refers to a final day of judgment upon the nations, so chapter 3, verse 2, and one. Thess- well, the New Testament picks up on that. Uh, the New Testament mostly talks about a day, a day of the Lord as a day of God's judgment on the world. And it will happen when Jesus returns one day. But also, back in Joel again, and some of the other prophets too, the day of the Lord refers to God's ongoing judgment on Israel. So both past and future. So, and also instances of his intervention between Israel and the nations. So in each case, really, the bottom line is the day of the Lord indicates a time when the presence of the Lord brings judgment. Bottom line, it's a day of God's wrath. That's what it is. And Joel describes such a day in chapter 2. So let's move on to chapter 2. I saw a cute little cartoon once of a... Um, a beautiful cathedral with, uh, with people streaming out, celebrating, streamers, and, you know, cheering and so forth. And they were carrying their priest on their shoulders and with his surplice, that's the white thing that some priests wear. I don't wear them, but anyway, that's another matter. Um, and uh, they were, this priest was flapping in the breeze. So you can picture this. This, uh, this priest being carried out with the people cheering around him. Anyway, there were two men standing off to the side and one asked the other, watching this amazing sight, one asked the other, what happened? What's going on? And the other replied, oh, he just said sin doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> uh, you see, friends, if, if we are to read the book of Joel right and I'm to preach it faithfully, chances are pretty slim you'll be carrying me out on your shoulders. Uh, But then again, it's not a popularity contest, is it? As we hear God's word today, it ought to to snap us to attention when we consider how we respond to tough times. Sin does matter. Sin does matter. Not just the little things, but the persistent, progressive drift away from God. Here's another quote from a... um, uh, an author I read you in the week. When the heartbreaking events of life bring people to realise that they have been missing the mark, we dare not interrupt the refiner's process. God refining us through disaster, through grief, through suffering. Now, not all trouble is brought on by sin, but often trouble brings a person to realise their sin and realise they need a saviour. Well, look, chapter two, <laughs> chapter 2 intensifies the pain and tragedy of chapter 1. So hang in there. There is good news coming, I promise. Right? Um, chapter 1, remember, anticipates a future disaster, the day of the Lord. We saw that in verse 15, which Joel, call, yeah, Joel calls the day of the Lord, and, and it must be avoided at all costs. Uh, chapter 1 speaks of a present disaster. Well, it's actually really it's a disaster in the past, I think, the, the locust plagues and how they react to it. But then in chapter 2, he uses that language of the locusts to, well, to blow the trumpet. See verse 1, chapter 2? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. And continue on in verse 2. A large and mighty army comes. It's an army like locusts, the description, swarming across the land. Matt, you read this very well before. Devouring everything in their path. Nothing escapes them. What an image. But you know what? That's not what's most shocking about chapter 2. See verse 11? What's most shocking about chapter 2? Verse 11, look with me. Who's the head of this army? Or the Lord. It's the Lord's army. It's his forces. It's his day. Which, friends, is shocking. See, I thought God was supposed to be a cuddly, comforting grandpa, you know, that, that, I, that can be relied on when, and be there for us when I need him. No, it's not what we read here, is it? What we read here, and we don't, we don't even have the language of God allowing the locust swarm. This army, no God will bring this disaster. I can't imagine Joel being the book of the month in the uh, devotional section in Quran. Can you imagine that? Don't think so. Can you imagine verse eleven being printed on some of those Christian gift cards, and you give it to Christmas? You know, be nice, wouldn't it? Or, or a calendar with that sort of soppy, sort of um, soft look. There it is, verse eleven. Uh, actually, any verses from the beginning of Joel, really. But they do print verses from the second half of Joel. So hang in there. (laughs) That's very much light rather than darkness. See, friends, we need to understand the first part of the book of Joel if we are to understand how marvellous the second half is. You can't understand God's grace without understanding God's judgment. You can't get... you'll never get God's grace if you don't understand the reality of God's judgment. You'll never get it. Joel wants the reader to understand that when we experience a setback, pain or frustration, disaster in this life, whether it's a locust plague or whether it's COVID-19 or a relationship breakdown, whatever it might be, it is a warning that we live in a world under judgment and that there is nothing more important in this life than finding a way of escape, which thankfully Joel gets to later in the book. Because just as in verses 6 to 9 of chapter 2, there is no safe haven from the charging warriors. There's no escape from the day of the Lord. Joel wants us to understand that the judgment of God on human sin is a terrible thing and it's much worse than we can imagine. God is very angry at human sin. Now that's not a very fashionable thing to say these days. (laughs) It's not something we like to talk about, is it? that God is angry at sin. But he is. It's true. Our disobedience of our creator is a deadly serious matter. And you see if the Bible is to make any sense to us, if it's to make any sense for you, if Jesus, if we're going to make if we are to truly make sense of Jesus, we need to understand the seriousness of sin and of God's judgment. And so no wonder in verse 11 Halfway through verse 11, the day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Of course, any human being faced with the weight of God's judgment cannot endure it. The answer to the question in verse 11 of who can endure it is no one. No one. But friends, listen carefully. We need to remember that there was another day when darkness came supernaturally over the land. We need to remember there was a day when one human being who is himself perfectly innocent hung on a cross and took upon himself the full terror, the full horror and awfulness of the judgment of God on human sin that we deserve. And because Jesus did that, the weight of of the judgment of God and the first half of the book of Joel which the first half of the book of Joel forces on us so terribly well it may be escaped because of Jesus anyone who trusts in him anyone who belongs to him will escape the judgment of God well in verse 12 there's a very striking change it's a bit of a hinge in the book of Joel bit of an open door to what's next It's a bit of a taste to the next two weeks too. It's a marvellous hope. Uh, Our response. So verses 12 to 17, we'll finish here. Joel presents two challenges to the readers to escape the judgment of God. Here's the first one, turn or return. And the second one is gather. So let's look at these briefly. Joel 2, 12 to 13. Have a look at your Bibles. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart. And not your garments. That means religious garments. Uh, Religious things don't don't show our hearts. God wants our hearts, not some religious ritual. Return to the Lord your God. Now the Bible word for this is repentance. We've talked about repentance a lot before. Turning away from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. By nature, you see, what we do, we all do it, we turn our backs to God, right? And so the escape is then to turn back to him. That's what repentance is. We turn back to God. And as we do turn, well, God turns too. God turns from judgment to grace. Verse 13, second half of verse 13. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And you know the thing about repentance or, or turning to God—that is—it's a step we take. We all take. It's a definite step. We either take it to God or away from God. You can't sit on the fence. You either take a step to God or you take a step away from it. It's a step. And if you take a step to God, turning to Him, well, that's a step we te- we keep taking. We keep turning. We keep turning to use the words of one Thessalonians. We keep turning from idols to serve the true and living God. That's the shape of the Christian life. Well, there's one other response here that that, uh, I was a bit surprised when I read this through, to be honest, a while back now, Um, a response to, to a challenge, really, to knowing the judgment of God, and that is God calls the people to gather, to gather, to meet, excuse me, to meet together in repentance And to pray for mercy. It's the importance of the gathering. What we're doing tonight. Church. Uh, And it's expressed in verse 16. Giles stresses that everyone should come to church. No one should miss out. (laughs) Children. Nursing mums. They get a special mention. um, And newlyweds. They get a special mention too. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I don't know why those three are mentioned. But maybe that was an issue in those days. I don't know. Newlyweds. Everyone should commit... To the gathering of God's people. Now, back in the, Chapter 11 of Genesis, there was the Tower of Babel incident. The Tower of Babel was that people wanted to build a tower to make a name for themselves. It was arrogance before God. I can do it with, without you, God. That's typical sin, isn't it? That's what we do when we sin. I can do it without you, God. Well, um, God's judgment for the Tower of Babel was a scattering of the people. Now, church is a gathering of the people. The gathering of God's saved people. Isn't that good? Scattering is judgment but church, well church is a visible expression of God's gathering God's salvation bringing us together. Uh, you, You can't do it solo you can't do it solo. Meeting with others is so important encouraging each other in church Well friends the rest of Joel is not so much darkness but it's light so come back next week all right. <laughs> Although we got a bit of light today too, didn't we? We really did. But we needed to understand how deep is the darkness so we can understand how wonderful is the light of God's offer. Why don't we pray and then we'll have time for some comments or questions. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry that, um, that too often we turn our backs to you. Lord, now we confess our sins to you. Lord, we're sorry that we go our own way and too often we are like lost sheep. Lord, we pray and ask for your mercy. We repent and we turn to you. Lord, we ask that you would, um, Lord, you would, you would help us with honesty with you. And most of all, Lord, help us not to miss that this world is temporary. Our lives are temporary. And one day we will meet you. One day uh, we will have to call an account. And so, Lord, we pray today that we would trust in you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that on on yourself, by your death, you took the horror of judgment, the awfulness of the judgment of God on yourself and simply because you love us. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, uh, let me remind you too of, a, of um, our comment cards too. If you want to write a question there that you don't feel too good about asking publicly, then you can use that and, um, and we can answer it the following week. Uh, or anything else, that you can tick a box there and that goes in the comment card box as well. have we got any questions or, or comments...